found the Winding Road Podcast, hosted by Jason and Isaac. We're two friends who are sitting in the driveway just chatting about cars over some drinks, while two of our favorite cars are sitting behind us shining in the sun. We never know where the conversation will go, but we hope you join us. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, we're back again for episode number eight, and uh, looking forward to getting back into it. Uh, Jason, anything on your mind tonight? Uh, hey, Isaac, how's it going? Um, uh, yeah, I got a couple things on my mind. I recently came across a page that I'm involved in. It's called Underappreciated Survivors, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of cool because you, you see a lot of different things that you kind of forget about and things like that. Um, and today, the I guess the car of the day was a 2003 Ford Focus SVT. Okay. So that was the hatchback model, I believe. Mm-hmm. Which for that year, they were kind of cool. They had the Interglow um, cluster. It was you know, a little bit sporty looking. Um, I think they had an option of Euro headlights, which was uh, Xenon, which for back then was, I think, a rare option. Mm-hmm. Now, now like Xenon, it's like uh, no big deal. It's like LEDs, the new is a new thing, um, which I don't love. I like my Xenon light. In my car, it was a uh, like a base a base option, and mm-hmm. the LED package was actually an upgrade. Uh, okay, but I don't know. I, I like it personally the cool stuff on that page um and today i don't know was, that seemed to be the focus was the uh the focus of the week have you seen those cars before i haven't seen one of those in a long time you reminded me of the svt contour uh, uh-huh. one of the guys i used to work with had one as like a project car um mm-hmm. i don't know i i never saw the thing run um while i was working with him but um yeah that was a that was an era where it was kind of like early in the street tuner scene. And that's when you started seeing some of those, you know, new models start to come out. I miss those. Um, I've always wanted one of them, actually. It's funny that you mentioned it. Um, I've always wanted a Contour SVT. And as I have, as I've researched them, apparently they're a nightmare. <laughs> they're like super problematic to work on. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's a 2.5 liter six cylinder that was yeah. shoehorn, shoehorned in there. No mechanic wants to work on that car. Hmm. But yeah, I wonder if that nice... was the same V6 out of the V6 uh, Probe GT. Because I know when I was um, when I was in school, one of the guys here ahead of me had is a purple uh, Probe GT with the V6, like the late the last generation of the Probe. Um, and I believe that was a 2.5 as well. So that was probably a shared motor. Um, I feel like it wasn't a Ford Duratec motor. It was probably sourced from somewhere else, but I don't know. Um, that, I don't know if it was a Duratec. I'm not, I'm not positive on that. Um, I know it shared the engine with um, the, uh, God, what was that? The Cougars. Remember yeah. the Cougars that were around? Like not the old school ones, like the newer mm-hmm. ones. They were kind of like rounded. Yeah. And they share the same, I think, drivetrain. Yeah, those but, were like, dogs. Yeah, yeah, they were. But those, those, um, the contours though, they just—I don't know—they looked cool to me. They had the nice side skirts, dual exhaust. Uh, it just looked mean, and it was mm-hmm. 
during a time where I think Ford or at least maybe domestic scene was trying to, I guess, compete with, you know, like uh, the foreign, you know, the foreign cars. Um, so I've always wanted one. I don't know. Mm. I'll probably never get one just because there probably are, you know, all the parts are probably unobtainium at this point. I feel like they're one of those cars where there's no middle ground. They're either like super low miles and kept in like a bubble and mm-hmm. you know somebody wants like thirty thousand dollars for one yes yeah, or they're a clunker that yeah. has been beat down and right you know even the junkyard doesn't want it i know you your roots are with ford and mine are as well but there's so many cool ford cars i've always wanted like all the sho models i think are like super cool even the old like the late 97 ones where people really don't like because they look like eggs. Mm-hmm. Like the Tauruses, you know, but they had a small little V8, which was, I think, was really cool. I feel like Ford came out a lot of cool stuff in the 90s. And we're definitely getting away from that. Like those times now with all the electric vehicles, but I miss those days. So speaking of those days, um, I, we mentioned briefly about Radwood on a couple of shows back. Do you remember that? Yes. So I learned recently that there's going to be a Radwood in Philly. Oh, really? Yeah. And so I went on their website. It's going to be actually in Chester. Okay. um, I forget the name of the, it's like a little sports park or something, but Mm -hmm. it is the, I think it was May 22nd. It's the Saturday Mm -hmm. before Memorial Day. And Mm -hmm. so Radwood is a car show and a, and a themed event for cars from 1980 to 1999. That'd be and awesome. Like you go and you dress up in uh, 80s or 90s apparel, mm-hmm. and you have all like the the effects and everything like that, like mm-hmm. accessories or whatever. And then starter jackets. Yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> like they have, you can show your car, and then there's a special thing for like uh, special cars of the era. So like you could take like if you had um like an f40 or something like something ultra mm-hmm. rare or like a kuntash mm-hmm. you could you could take one of those and you're like in a special c- category it's called uh ridewood royalty um okay but it sounds really cool i have so we scheduled a vacation the end of may and so i re so i swapped my saturdays mm-hmm. after i swapped my saturdays i realized that the saturday i'm not working is when radwood is going to be here um mm-hmm. so i'm going to probably miss out on it but who knows? Maybe you could go, or I don't know yeah. if you're interested or not. Yeah, definitely. It'd be cool for you to go together, but uh, I might yeah. have to go myself and see how it works. You could be a scout for us. Yeah, definitely. I'll check it out. Um, but yeah, it seem, seems like a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Part of me is like, it kind of makes me feel old, though, because, you know, everything from the 80s and 90s is there. And it's like the boomers had all their car shows when i was a kid like it was all boomers taking their cars to car shows and now everyone it's like you know early millennials late gen xers they're all going to that this car show and it's like you know uh, reminiscent for them and stuff i'm like man it's starting to make me feel old yeah i mean um god this is a rabbit hole that i don't think we have time to go down to tonight but there's so many things that have been making me feel old lately um, and that's definitely probably one of them, but, um, you know, I think that we should embrace it and, uh, you know, 
enjoy those things. I remember mm-hmm. um, driving in my dad's 1987 Ford Aerostar. Do you remember those? Mm-hmm. Like slant nose. Like suit your, it's like your stereotypical, you know, suburban minivan mm-hmm. in the 80s. And I distinctly remember listening to Oldies 98 listening to like 60s music. That was great. I enjoyed that time. Um, and then recently, a couple of years ago, I had Oldies 98 on and they were playing like 80s and 90s music. And it was like a gut check moment for me. I was like, oh my God, like I am my parents. <laughs> like I am my parents listening to my to the music that I grew up listening to on Oldies 98. Yeah. So now, so now like fast forward, I'm an adult, you know, I'm driving to work and I have, you know, XM radio and I find myself tuning in to like the sixties channels. It's weird. It's just like a weird, it's a weird dynamic, but um, it's just, uh, if you listen to that music, it's, uh, it's like a simpler time, mm-hmm. but uh, it's going back to like, you know, driving around and all that stuff. It's just, um, it's crazy how like, you know, time goes on and, all these different things make us feel older. That definitely made me feel real old. <laughs> mm-hmm. I heard someone say recently that, you know, kids in, in, you know, elementary school and high school these days, they're referring to the nineties as the late 1900s. And that just sounds old. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it is what it is, I guess, you know, there's yeah. not much we can do about that fact. Yep. Um, you were saying about listening to older music. Reminded me of I was talking to one of the technicians at work recently. We went in on a Saturday to do something to my car, and so they came in. Yeah, and he had on like classic rock, and I'm like, oh, you don't really listen to this during the week a lot. He's like, yeah, he's like on the Saturdays or when I'm like working on cars or whatever. It's like something about it just makes me want to listen to like old music, like you know, 60s, 70s rock and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, you're right. I don't know why, but a lot of times when I'm working in the garage at home, if I put on put on the radio, I'm putting on like classic rock songs like, you know, Zeppelin and ACDC and Skinner and all that good stuff. And I don't normally listen to that. Um, but there's just something about working on a car and classic rock that just kind of go together. I agree. Yeah, I hear you. I think it's like a powerful feeling because that music's so powerful. And it's like, you know, you're working on an engine, it's like a motor, you know, you have a car, like there's just so many things going on. And it's just, uh, it just, you know, grabs all the senses, I think. So there's a couple, I found something today and I have some questions I'm going to ask you. Are you ready? Yeah. And these are like just random car questions. So I'm going to add the first question is what is generally considered to be the first pony car? Pontiac Firebird? Ford Mustang, Mercury Cougar, or the Chevy Camaro? No contest. It's a Mustang. Yep. Got that right. Did you hear that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So next one. What was the first Japanese car to to be produced in the U.S.? The Miata, the Accord, the Camry, or the Maxima? I didn't know the Maxima was built in the U.S. I thought it was still built in Japan. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's built or like sold. It says produced. Produced would mean built then, okay. um, but it would be the Accord. 
Nice. I thought right. Okay, you're two for two. <laughs> okay. All right. What car sold more than one million units in '65? Still setting a record today. The Mustang. That's not even an option. Oh, really? Yeah. The options are Impala, Thunderbird, Buick Wildcat, or the Pontiac GTO. In what year? 1965. Well, the GTO wasn't around in 65. Oh, wait a minute. The GTO was an option in 65. I didn't think any of those cars sold a million cars. I know. my. I know what my idea would be. I guess I would probably go. I feel like the safe bet is the Impala. That's what I was thinking. Yep, you got it. Three for three. Okay. What was the first car to break the sound barrier? The Koenigsegg Agara R, Hennessy Venom GT, Thrust SSC, or the Bugatti Veyron? Be the Thrust. I think you're right. Wow, four for four. Yeah, because that's Jeez. one. If, that, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's a tr- it's a three wheel thing that looks basically like a rocket laid on its side yeah and there's like training wheels at the back and a single wheel in the front and yeah. like it's got a big uh vertical uh, dorsal fin at the back and i actually i, I want to say it's either rocket power i think it's rocket power because i even i'm thinking a uh, combustion engine can go that fast but i know there's a world record diesel engine that's like three or four hundred miles an hour are you serious a diesel yeah, motor that like fast a, yeah, I think it's like a two-cylinder diesel or something. Oh, my God. I have to take note to look that one up. All right, here's your last question. Let's see if you can do 100%. All right, it's going to be... This one's easy. I don't like that one. All right, here's a good one. The inventor of the cruise control was... Oh, I just heard about this recently. Go ahead. You have, you have to listen to the... <laughs> I know it it wasn't cruise control. It was a variable wipers that I'm thinking of. Go ahead. I think that was um, the guy that uh, who was the guy that was it went the Mustang. It wasn't Lee Iacocca. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. That's not him. I think it was the the guy that invented the um, I think there's a documentary about it. He invented the intermittent wipers and I think he was trying to sell it to like Packard or uh it was in the 60s so i don't know anyway continue i was getting well, off topic that would be another thing to look at um so the inventor of the cruise control was a a blind man b a homeless man c a robot or d a 12 year old child <laughs> 12 year old child yeah that's what i'm thinking too no it's not it oh I'm going to say a blind man. I don't know. Cause I mean, just because they have an impairment doesn't mean they can't have ideas, you know, or be working in an industry. Like they may not use it or whatever, but yeah. You know, homeless man is pretty vague because a lot of people like have an idea and they write it down on a napkin and then they like become a millionaire. So True. I have no idea. All right. Well, I'm going to take this one off your hands. I'm going to go blind man. See what it, says. it was, it was oh, a okay. blind man. Nice. Wow, interesting. I still can't get over that Impala's sold a million cars in a year. I don't know if it was a million in a year. Let me go back to it. Or maybe it's the first one to sell a million total units. Let me see. Because I know the Mustang sold a million units in the first year or two. 
Yeah, it said what car sold more than 1 million units in 65. Okay. Setting a record that still stands today. Huh. So there's your five card trivia questions for this week. Okay. I like that. Those were those were off the wall things that I couldn't think of. Yeah, that's interesting. I learned some things today as well. Man, Anything on this is really good. Sorry for the listeners. Before we were t- started recording, I found this hop tea. It's got hops and chamomile tea. And it's really good. It's sparkling water with hops and tea. And it's oh man, it's really good. I'm enjoying it a lot. I'm glad I bought it. That's an interesting combo. I like it. It's not like none of them are overpowering. Like they kind of sound like they might be gross together, but they're both like subtle. So I would love to try that actually. Anyway, back on track. I'm trying to figure out if the trip we have planned, if she's going to, if Sarah's going to fight me about taking the Cayman or not. Um, I don't, I think she'll kind of expect me to say, Hey, I want to take it. But it's right on the time threshold. We were discussing this recently about traveling with the car. Um, Mm -hmm. She, when we're on a road trip, she likes to recline the seat and like go to sleep. And you (laughs) can't do that in the Cayman because the engine's right behind you. Mm. So she's like, I could probably do about four hours or so um, max. And so I Mm -hmm. thought, okay, well, depending where we go, we could like do a stopover halfway, solve that issue. Or just go to things that are within four hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. We planned something that is, I want to say five and a half or six hours away. We're going to um, basically right near Lake George, but in Vermont. So it's right across the state line in Vermont. So it's halfway mm-hmm. up the state of New York, east into Vermont a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's right around six hours, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. See how much she... Um, how begrudgingly she does it or whatever, but there's definitely room for luggage in there for the week. Um, but I was thinking about that earlier is how am I going to sell it to her? To what, take my car? What would the other option be? Her, her infinity. Yeah. Now, when you guys go on this trip, will she be taking any of like, will she be driving at all? Or is it all you? Um, it would just be me. I, she she's told me recently that she doesn't like driving with me or her dad because she feels nervous and like she's being judged. So mm-hmm. she can't really like the one time she drove with me in the car, uh, she didn't feel comfortable. It was also the first time driving that car, which was very different. So, mm-hmm. um, but she felt less uncomfortable when she drove it by herself recently. So she just needs a little bit more seat time, but in general, mm-hmm. she doesn't like, when I'm a passenger because she feels like she's getting judged the whole time. Do you feel that way as well or no? That I'm judging her or that she judges me when I drive? Well, both. Do you feel like you're judging her or do you feel like it's one-sided that she feels like, you know, she's being judged unfathomably? I, I kind of am. Like, I'm, I'm aware of what she's doing and I know that if I was driving, coming up to a situation, what I would be doing and I'm, I kind of like watch to see if she would do the same thing. So mm-hmm. in the back of my mind, I am monitoring her. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I just drive everywhere. And that's how it's always been for us. So mm-hmm. it's definitely weird for me to be in the, be in the passenger seat in general. Because mm-hmm. I have so much driver seat time that mm-hmm. 
no, no matter who I'm driving with, it feels weird to be in the passenger seat. I understand. Uh, I feel the same way. Uh, sort of the same relationship, like with my wife and I. Um, she's a great driver. She, you know, we've discussed. You know, she has a 06 Accord, which has way more tire profile than a 19 inch S3 tire does or rim does. One time we were going out, and uh, I, I, you know, I, it was a long day at work. I had been driving. You know, my commute was longer than her, so she just. I picked her up and, you know, she just, we took my car out. We were going around, like, we were in the parking lot of this restaurant. We were, like, about to, like, approach a curb, like, a, a curb. And I was, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, we're a little bit too close to this curb, I think, but I'm going to, whatever. And we, we wound up, like, you know, like, hitting it a little bit, like, bouncing off it. And she was like, oh. And I was like, immediately, I was like, oh, like that's a problem. And she, and she was like, what? And I was like, nothing. She's like, I do it all the time. Like, no big deal. <laughs> so, like, we parked the car, and I, like, immediately jumped out of the car. And these, like, these rims were, like, perfect. Nothing wrong with them. And they were curbed just very slightly. Like, no big deal. Like, not a big deal. And if if you have a car that has 16 inch rims on them and it has like six inches of tire profile, if you do that, you're likely not hitting the rim. You're just going to hit the, you know, hit the rubber. But when you have a lower profile tire with you know big rim, of course it's going to scratch it up. And uh, like she couldn't understand why I was so upset about this like four inch scratch on these rims. So I, I wound up, you know, getting them refurbished mm -hmm. but uh it's a similar situation now she won't drive the car anymore <laughs> mm. i don't care i'm like i'm like you can drive it like just be careful <laughs> yeah she's pretty good about that um she has a reputation for backing out of the garage into a car okay um that happened like 15 years ago that her dad will never let her live down um, what, did, what did she back into Apparently their accountant or, and somebody else, it was like two or three separate occasions. She was backing out of the garage and she didn't know there was a car parked like adjacent to her driveway or her, mm. her bay. And so mm. when you back out, you turn the wheel and mm -hmm. there was a car there. Um, mm. So she will never live that down. But I've, I can't, I don't think I've ever seen her do anything that really like made me question things. I'd say she's competent. When some people drive, they they really make you kind of like tense, you know, right, like I used to, right. I had a friend a long time ago that um, he got rear-ended like three times in this, in this Jeez. one car. And oh then I rode with him and I kind of figured out why, because mm -hmm. he will drive up to like, you'll see a red light turning and he will wait until the very last second to stop. And then he stops. And it's like, or for I don't know, there's just a couple of times where I'm riding with him, like, yeah, I, I can understand why you're getting rear-ended now. Like it makes sense. Um she doesn't have anything glaring like that that really makes me worried. Uh I did. <laughs> I may have been stalking her with Find My Friends app uh while she was driving my car that last time. Nice. But I wasn't worried necessarily. I just I actually was 
curious to see what she would say when she got home. I was hoping she would enjoy the drive and everything, but she couldn't really do that because it was, that was, I think we talked about it. It was starting to get bad weather on her way home. So mm-hmm. once it gets nice out, she'll have to drive it again. Well, you know, that's a, um, that's a real concern. I mean, you know, she's your wife, obviously, but that's like your, you know, that's your thing, you know? So I'm sure she was very careful in making sure that everything went as planned. Mm-hmm. Unlike when she was driving it, because I've gotten used to this, but it was the first time she was driving it and it started like raining slash snowing towards the end. And I don't know if you've noticed this, you probably have in your own cars, but Japanese mm-hmm. and Germans do different things. Like for the Japanese cars, it, it's, um, I think this, the wipers go down to the various settings and in German cars, it goes up. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. intermittent is mm-hmm. one click up on low is one click. Oh click yeah. Up, and then high is three clicks up. And it's yep. opposite for Japanese cars. Yes. And so that kind of threw her off at first. Um, yeah. And then obviously being a Porsche, the key is on the left side. And so yeah. like if you stall it or if you just turn it on in general, you have mm-hmm. to remember that it's on the left side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's really hard to get in reverse because of the lockout. Like it, you have to push really hard to the, to the left. And then it kind of like goes over the lump and then you can go forward with it. Um, so she said that's she a six practice. speed, right? Yeah. She did practice in a parking lot going into reverse, but then she couldn't do it again later. But it is pretty, pretty hard to get in reverse comparatively to other cars. Um, so, yeah, there were just the different. It wasn't her car and you mm. know the settings weren't where she wants them. And it was a quick drive. So it's not like she needs to take the time to readjust everything. But, so right, she was stressed. Right a little stressed out there but um she just needs more seat time to get used to it hey i think i think good for her for doing that you know knowing knowing how into your car you are you know what i mean and seems like she's a good job with it yep but it's funny that it's funny that you uh mentioned the settings for the wipers because i had that cat for like two freaking months and I'm used to doing like, you know, the one wipe or like the, um, you know, like a quick, mist. yeah, yeah. Quick, a quick mist. And it was totally opposite of my S3. And, um, I found myself routinely doing the opposite of what that car commanded. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that cause it, it was totally happening to me. Mm-hmm. And the and the Porsche thing, like the key being on the left side, I valeted for a long time, like six years, park cars, and I never liked sticking the key into a Porsche. It was just weird for my left hand. It just it just doesn't feel natural to me. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, you know, putting the key in, like starting with my left hand, and then doing whatever I needed to do with my right hand. But it was just uh, abnormal. To me, yeah. at least. To you, it's probably like second nature at this point. Yeah, I've gotten used to it now. It's kind of like driving clutch. Like you do it every day. You don't really think about it. And then every now and then you get into an automatic and your left foot just goes through the floor because you're yep. expecting the weight of the clutch. Um, yeah. 
I don't do that often, but you know, it's kind of like the same scenario where every now and then I'll reach for a push button start on the right side and it's not there. I'm like, oh yeah, dummy, you got to put the key in on the left. The uh, the M4 is a uh, stick, right? Your, yeah. your uh, father-in-law. So you're used to everything. Basically, you drive minus the infinity is the shift. What's that? Everything you drive minus the infinity is a stick shift. Well, no. I mean... At your house. At Half of our cars are manual, half are automatic. Yeah. So there's mine and the M4, and then we have two G37s. But, but the G37s are all automatic yeah yeah they're basically so, twins the so one's a 2010 and hers is a 2011 um and they're both the the all-wheel drive automatic one's red one's black but for the most part you're used to driving a stick yeah now i miss it i miss driving a stick a little bit yeah there was a couple times right after i got it when i was coming home from work and I, or just driving randomly I'm like oh man it just feels good to drive stick yeah. I don't know. It's something I can't explain. And I would even be willing to commute on the Schuylkill with it. Wow. That's, that's a total order. Are you, are you sure about that? <laughs> yeah, I did it before. Oof. Not with the Cayman, but when I had my golf for a short time, I was commuting um, on the Schuylkill with it. I feel like we've all done that car enthusiast like, as a younger age. At least I did. And I never minded it. Mm-hmm. And I know I think you and I disagree with that, but coming from, I haven't had a stick since it's probably been like five or six years at this point. And especially the way like DSG reacts. Mm-hmm. The only thing I don't like about it is you can't really freewheel. So like if I get off the gas, I always feel like the engine, uh, you know, like br- engine braking so basically on it. Mm-hmm. I don't love that part, but um, it's definitely a different driving experience. And I would love, to, I would like to have one as like a second car mm-hmm. again. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what I would get, but I would like to have like a second car as a stick to take it out on the weekends kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I actually find a lot of cars don't provide enough engine braking because I like to use it in, in instead of using the brakes. So, mm. like, if I'm going down mm. a hill, I'll downshift to a lower gear or um, just in general, like, as a coasting method, I'll know if I'm in such and such gear, then I'll mm. decelerate enough or I won't decelerate that much to achieve a certain goal, like, you mm. know, coasting to a stop sign or um, just slowing down. So I catch, I can usually calculate which gear I need to be in and when to stop accelerating and just coasting to catch up to the car in front of me in a way that I don't have to push the brakes. But every car is a little bit different. Like some turbocharged cars don't have a lot of engine braking. Um, A lot of automatic cars don't have a lot of engine braking because they tend to just like freewheel, I guess you could say. Right. So they don't always give me the response I want, but not every manual car has a lot of engine braking either. Cause I think it partially comes down to the compression ratio of the engine and how much, you know, pressure there is there. Um, mm-hmm. And then gearing and other stuff. There's a lot of factors in it, but, you know, so there are some situations where the engine braking on the Cayman isn't that great, but it is pretty high compression engine. So there's different variables. Uh, for me, um, like the other day I was trying, I'm trying to get 
I was just like having experiments myself about how, you know, what type of fuel economy I can get out of my car. I was doing pretty good with it. And it's, it's amazing how, what you can do if you're paying attention, mm-hmm. right? It's like on my commute to work, it's probably like a 15 mile drive and it's mixed with the uh, highway and city. And um, if you watch normal drivers who don't pay attention to that, they just speed up to the red light or speed up to the car in front of them and hit the brakes real hard or whatever. But if you're like paying attention, I think I, I think I hit my brakes like maybe twice. No exaggeration on a 30, a 30 minute drive. Cause like I planned for it. Mm-hmm. So like I saved, I saved myself the brake wear and the fuel economy of you know, starting and stopping, which is fun for like a little while, but I'm getting tired of that. I want to start like, <laughs> enjoying my car again. But I was just curious, you know, I was just curious to see what I could do. Um, the other factor is that I have, you know, till two millimeters of uh, brake left on my front rotors, which I have over here ready to go. I've got a, I've got a uh, oil change kit ready. I've got front pads and rotors ready, and I just got my uh, fuel extractor here. So uh, got a lot of stuff going on, and I'm excited to uh, try these new things here. So got a lot, a lot of new updates coming. Yeah, you were talking about um, the different techniques you're using and that's like second nature to me anymore i i just do it uh without even thinking about it it's habitual um yeah but how do you how do you do those things though with like spirited driving like because to me i have to actively do them otherwise i'm gonna have fun like it's not fun for me to do those things it's more like what how much fuel economy can i get out of this tank of gas i'm not sure how to explain it i mean most of the time i'm stuck behind a train of cars so mm. it's i don't really have a chance to do anything but i think my tdi kind of rewired my brain to always be focusing on fuel economy even mm-hmm. like in a sports car and mm-hmm. so like i don't consciously think about trying to get you know an extra two miles a gallon out of the cayman but as I mentioned before, I still, I still um, use all the techniques I've learned over the years and it's just part of my driving style. And then when I do want to, or have a chance to really get on it a little bit, everything kind of goes out the window then. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe I'll like do a ride along sometime of, of explaining my driving techniques and things like that. Probably wouldn't get that yeah. many views, but uh, yeah, it's just it's little things that you can learn that don't really affect your drive, but can add small amounts of economy here and there that your drive won't be affected. And like, you won't feel like you're driving the stereotypical Prius where they're doing like 20 under the speed limit. Mm -hmm. You also won't be gaining like 10 miles per gallon of range. You it's kind of like a middle road where you're doing a small little technique that has a small impact, but over time it's not mm-hmm. affecting your drive and it's slightly increasing your economy. So it's like kind of a win-win for me. Yeah. I don't think you can do the extremes. Like if you go, if you go to either stream, you're probably not going to you know, follow that routinely. I think it's got to be like a small adjustment. Right. And over, over time will, 
um, you know, get some big gains, hopefully. But I was just thinking on, like, when I took that trip last summer um, on my own, I just took a day off and I went, I was driving for like six hours straight. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I got up to the, like the Pocono area, I just remembered that I can be going pretty quickly in a car and be in like fuel economy mode. Like I can be hustling that car pretty well and still be in like sixth gear with mm -hmm. and turning low RPMs. It's just because the car is able to carry so much speed through the corner that you mm -hmm. don't have to be in a low gear to uh, be going quickly. Right. So, it makes sense. I like that. Like really the only time that I'm revving it out is if, I am trying to accelerate quickly or if, if I am going on like a really twisty road and I hold the gear, you know, so I can get some response here and there. But, um, for the most part, I get up to speed and I'm in sixth gear by default. Whereas her, her dad is different. I've driven with him before and he'll be on, he'll be on a highway doing 70 miles an hour and be in fourth gear. Okay. And I'm like, you have two more gears here. You're you're on the highway. You're not going to be like accelerating really. Put it in sixth gear. Put it in cruise and just go. But he'll he doesn't use the cruise control ever. Like he he think I think I've we've talked about it before and he said he's probably used it like twice in his life. Sixth like, gear? No cruise. Oh, cruise control. Um, but sixth gear. I don't know if I could count on one hand how many times I've seen him use sixth gear. Or even so, he, so he holds fourth gear on the highway. Yeah. Jeez, what's what's he tacking at? Like six k? Uh. No, not that bad. Like forty five hundred. Why? I I don't know. He's he's old school. Like I don't know. He's probably used to driving a speed like a three speed. I don't know. That's cool. Hey, whatever works for you, you know. Yeah. But like, you know, especially with the, the way gas is these days, it's like, it's out of control. But hey, I mean, hey, whatever works for you is, you know, to each his own, I say. So I have a couple of uh, interesting car facts to share. Okay. So there's 70 million cars produced each year, which I thought was interesting. The average U.S. driver spends 42 hours a year stuck in traffic. Now, what would like you say? Low. What would you think would be the highest, like city-wise? LA. That's what I thought too. It's not. It's actually DC. How recent is this data? Like, is it from 2020 uh, when no one was driving? I think it's from 2019. I wonder if it's because is, I feel like there are a lot of people that commute from like a lot of outer suburbs into DC. Like, maybe I have. Um, a distant cousin whose dad worked used to work in the patent office. Oh, really? He was like, I think he was like an hour and a half away from work. And that's all highway. I think for a little while he's doing a train, but like housing's ridiculously expensive out there. It is. So like to get something somewhat affordable, you're an hour and a half away from DC. And so I feel like that's probably a comp like part of the, what's contributed to the number is if you've got an hour and a half commute, that's going to add up. Yeah, I don't know where these numbers came from. I'm not sure if it's like from like the actual like metro of DC or if it's like the outside areas, but I find that very interesting because to me, 
LA would be, you know, the busy point. What would you say would be the percentage of Americans at this point that can drive a stick shift? That can drive one? Yeah, I just know how to drive a stick. Say one in four people. So would that be like uh, 25%? 25%. So actually, 18% of Americans today know how to drive sticks. Okay. Well, that's going to keep going down because as the older generation stops driving and the yeah. younger generation who has parents that are our age and is not teaching them how to drive stick, they're never going to learn or right. most of them are not going to learn. And then yeah. it's just going to self-perpetuate. Yeah. It's actually sad that that's not, no longer happening, especially with like electric cars and stuff like that. Like that's definitely going to be a thing of the past one day. This is going to be, this is sad for a lot of our listeners. 95% of a car's lifetime is spent parked. So that means 5% of a car's natural life is actually spent driven. I could see that. I've actually thought about this before. A car, if it was a, if it was a being, it spends most of its time waiting for you mm-hmm. to interact with it again. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you might drive, I think the average commute's probably what, like 20 minutes. So you drive t- 40 minutes a day and then assuming you don't go anywhere once you get home or after work or whatever, then the rest of the day it's sitting. Mm-hmm. So 23 hours and 20 minutes a day, a car is sitting. And that's not including people that work from home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's sad. It's sad that that's happening. These things are just rusting away. And then you, you count how long a car sits like on a dealer lot if it's not being sold yeah. or if it's being sold or, you know, in a repair shop, if it's, you know, whatever. Like a car's yeah. lifetime is just waiting. I found that I found that number interesting. So the last number I have here is passenger vehicles, like, you know, normal cars consume about. 359 million gallons of fuel each day in the United States alone. Hmm. Seems high to me. I have no idea what that num- what I would think that number would be. Like, I don't have a way to associate that with anything. Like, I don't have a reference point for that. Either do I. I, just, I found it interesting. It's an interesting yeah. factoid. Um, do you ever think I about think- how many gallons of fluid, like, other fluids are on the road. Like you have gas in every, in most, almost every tank, but then you also have transmission fluid. You have brake fluid, you have power steering fluid, you have differential fluid. Like how many other gallons of ancillary fluids are in, you know, on the roads at any given time? Well, yeah, I never thought about that, but the thing about that stuff is a lot of those fluids can be used to, power heating for a lot of the shops like i know a lot of a lot of um the car shops and things like that use like spent fluid to power their like shop heaters which is a good way to i guess recycle that to me it's always been you know that's like a fossil fuel right like all those resources are fossil fuels um and you never know like how much of that stuff depending upon who you're talking to actually remains right i don't think anyone knows i think they just have a guess well yeah you're probably right but like 
that's always been a concern of mine because I'm a fossil fuel guy. Like, you know, I get that you have to keep up with the times and if you can't adapt, then you're going to probably fail. But to me, my heart's always going to be with, you know, gasoline and oil and all that stuff. Well, then you uh, want to so, get behind synthetic fuels. So like Porsche and some racing, uh, some racing divisions are backing and, and financing developing synthetic fuels so that you can still run an internal combust- combustion engine, but not use a fossil fuel at all. So like synthetic engine oil is still like five or 10% fossil oil. Mm-hmm. And then like the rest of it's human humanly derived or created, mm-hmm. but like the synthetic fuels that are being developed are completely man-made. And so that I think is how we keep a lot of classics of any era. Cause in 40 years, you know, my car will be a classic or an antique, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. how we keep a lot of those cars on the road. It'll become like a hobby. Or, I mean, it is a hobby to an extent, but like it'll become. Oh, know, very... they'll be able to still run them. Yeah. Well, that makes me feel better. I'm glad to hear that because <laughs> that's something I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think at this point it's anywhere near being somewhat affordable. I think I heard a number around $500 a gallon right now. Oh, my God. Um, but it's just because of a quantity and the cost of the production process and things like that. Like they, they've got to figure all that stuff out it's still yeah. in early days. Sure. But I'm happy that they're actually thinking about that. And there's a solution to keep these cars on the road. So how often would you think that you would change your windshield wipers? I know, I know like what you, like what the, we'll say recommendation is. I think it's what, six months. Yeah, AAA but, recommends every six months. But what do you think the uh, average person does? I would say probably a year-ish, depending on how and where they service yeah. their car. Um, uh, I've gone, oh, I've personally gone over, I've probably gone as long as about two years on a set of blades before. Probably because you know how to use them. Yeah, right? I mean, like I, you, I, you don't turn them on when it's dry out there. Like I've seen people like you know have them on high when it's like barely spritzing and wear them out early. Or what I think it's wor- what's worse for for wiper blades is using them to clear the ice off your windshield. Like mm. you know we're impatient people, and mm. I've seen it. I've done it once or twice, but I try not mm. to. But like it's very common to see someone go out to the car, it's frozen, and they just spray the windshield with a gallon of washer fluid and the wipers are going the whole time and it's it's melting the stuff but it's also basically that ice is cutting little grooves yeah. into your wiper blades and so then you get streaky wiper blades um yep. it also depends on the quality of the blade i'm i, I really like bosch icon wiper blades i've okay. had a set of those last me two years already and that's not wow. even storing like i've never parked a car in a garage some cars last some cars wiper blades last a while because they park inside and that helps mm-hmm. um, keep them out of the weather. Okay. But parking outside my entire driving life, I've had a set of Bosch icons last almost two years already. And 
So I, I really like those. Depends on how you use them and how you take care of them. Interesting. Yeah, that was something I was thinking about today. I figured I'd put it to our listeners from their perspective. So we'll, got, we'll leave you with that. Um, think about your wiper blades and how often you use them. And think about how much, you t- how much time you spend in a car commuting, if you commute at all. Uh, thanks again for joining us. I look forward to hearing from you again and welcome you back next time. You can reach us by email at windingroadspodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at windingroadspodcast. Join us there, join in the conversation between our weekly podcast and uh, send us your questions and uh, or any people you might have in mind for guests. We're going to start having guests on in, in a little bit on a couple more episodes. So just keep some of those things in mind and uh, we'll talk to you again next time.